Welcome to Partnering Leadership, a top global leadership podcast for purpose-driven leaders with a growth mindset, seeking to learn from the leadership journey of change makers and business insights from leading global thinkers. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership for a conversation where we are going to focus on the applications of artificial intelligence as we lead our teams and organizations, which comes primarily from your feedback, which is why I love hearing from you. Keep your comments coming, mahan at mahantavikoli.com. There's also a microphone icon on partneringleadership.com. Really enjoy getting those voice messages as well. It's energizing for me to hear from you. And I want to give a special shout out to Vijay Shinde, who's been very supportive, both on LinkedIn, as well as being one of our listeners who has binge listened from the very first episode on. I truly appreciate you, Vijay, and I appreciate all of you, the listeners of this podcast. As I say, and I mean it sincerely, you have a choice with what you do with your time. And it is truly an incredible honor for me that you choose to listen to these conversations with a growth mindset, looking to learn and have a positive impact on your team and the people around you. There's lots of studies showing that the people we choose to surround ourselves with have a significant influence on us, whether it's their dietary habits, their studying habits, their habits impact us. And the most beautiful part of this is that you are choosing to surround yourselves with some of the smartest people from across the globe, sharing their leadership perspectives, their perspectives on the future of work and on artificial intelligence with you. So to me, that says a lot about you. I'm energized. I'm excited as we have more of these conversations. For this episode, I've invited Tom Tully back for us to have a conversation about the approaches that leaders can take to the tactical applications of artificial intelligence in their teams and organizations. In thinking about AI's transformative impact, I want you to think about four key areas that will be impacted. There are strategic implications, and with many of my clients, I'm urging them to focus on strategic implications of artificial intelligence, and I urge you to do the same thing. It's important if you're involved in a leadership team or lead an organization that you think about strategic implications. There are going to be significant strategic changes as a result of artificial intelligence, and we need to be nimble and agile to transform our teams and organizations. Now, I've run into some people that think because they're involved in leading a nonprofit or a quasi-government organization, they won't be impacted. I would beg to differ. I think all of our organizations will be significantly impacted on the strategic level as well. So one element to consider is the strategic implications of AI. I will continue to have conversations with thought leaders around that. In addition to that, though, 
there are also operational efficiencies that can be gained from implementing artificial intelligence in organizations. We can do that even if we are not involved at the strategic level in our organizations. There are also societal impacts. There are the pure optimists that say every technology in the past, people have said we would lose jobs and we ended up gaining jobs. There are the pessimists that say AI will end humanity as we know it. I would say let's be pragmatic optimists. There are lots of opportunities with artificial intelligence. However, we need to learn how to use it and we need to guide the technology as it moves forward. Then think about the impact on how leadership will change as a result of artificial intelligence. I'm doing a talk for clients and a lot of outside organizations as well which focuses on how AI significantly improves efficiency, provides data-driven insights, but it can't replace human abilities to inspire and connect. At least it can't do that yet. And if you think about the traditional functions of management, those are the key elements that AI enhances. Controlling, planning, staffing, and organizing. The only one that AI doesn't impact as much is leadership and a heavy element of human coaching involved in that leadership because effective coaching requires deep trust. So leadership in organizations will also need to change as a result of artificial intelligence. And then the final area for focus are tactical applications where each individual can improve his or her productivity and the team's productivity can improve and we can produce better results through artificial intelligence. Those who don't will be left behind. If you want to go from DC to LA, you can choose to ride a bike. And I'm sure there is a lot of joy in that I love riding bikes. I'm not sure I could do it from DC to LA. However, in the work environment, if there are others who are taking cars going from DC to LA, or others are flying from DC to LA, the ones that are taking cars and especially the ones that are flying get there a lot faster and won't use as much energy and won't be as tired. So AI tools will help us become a lot more efficient, a lot more effective, getting better, faster results when we learn how to use them effectively, which is one of the reasons I encourage all teams to start experimenting and using AI tools. And that's why I asked Tom Tully back he is an expert in the area, spends a lot of time studying it, is writing a book on generative AI as we speak. So in this conversation with Tom, we focus specifically on some of the latest in artificial intelligence and practical applications of artificial intelligence by professionals and teams in organizations. Here is my conversation with Tom Tully. Tom Tully, great to have you back on Partnering Leadership. 
to talk about AI specifically, how people can apply it and teams can apply it in their organizations. So what are you seeing in the AI space as it relates to organizations and executives working in organizations? Yeah, and great to be back. The last time we talked, it seemed like a different era. It moves pretty quickly in these circles. But yeah, at least on the software front, the, the two big players right now are, are Google and Microsoft, which should be no surprise. And it looked like Google was fading out. And then their I.O. conference, it changed some hearts and minds. And the stock started to move upward along with Microsoft and others. It's a race out there. And even this week, NVIDIA reported its earnings. The growth was so fast and furious that the stock went up close to 30% in one day, added over $200 billion in market cap. And $200 billion in market cap is like an industry. It's real. Companies are investing huge amounts of money in this. And from a business and leadership standpoint, it's a time to not so much think about it, but do about it because it's happening in real time and the biggest companies in the world are pushing hard on this. But when you look at Google in particular, they have BARD, which is their answer to ChatGPT. It's free. There's no paid version. Maybe they will, but there is no paid version yet. One of the differences, it uses real-time data, but ChatGPT, it cuts off at 2021, like October 2021. But you might ask it, a recent question and just wouldn't know what to do with it. The system's really good with reasoning, mathematics. Mathematics has been actually one of the more challenging parts of this technology, but it looks like Google's system does much better with math. It's also trained on a lot of healthcare and scientific data. So they're moving it into medicine and biotech where there's so much information, it's very complicated information and trying to figure out how to deal with it, make better use out of it. And they're also implementing this technology across their workplace apps like Docs, all these productivity apps that they have. So Google's been very busy. The irony of this whole thing is that Google is the pioneer of this technology. They created the core of this technology, and then they just weren't quick enough to commercialize it as OpenAI and Microsoft were. And then when you look at Microsoft, they had their build conference. They're continuing, like Google, to roll out this generative technology in their own systems, Office 365 and so forth. And then they had this vision, the co-pilot, where everything will have a co-pilot. It'll be your assistant, your virtual assistant. So if I'm a lawyer, I'll have my law co-pilot. If I'm a doctor, I'll have my doctor co-pilot. And then Microsoft is trying to make these tools to make it easier for just about anyone to be able to create their own co-pilot for their own use cases. And so that's the vision that Microsoft is promoting. There's a lot happening, but I think we're still in the early innings with this. But like I said, get ready because it's here now. It's not something it is out in the future. As you said, it's incredible. And just to put in context, NVIDIA's market cap in one day went up more than Intel's market cap. Before we go deeper, we'd love to get your thoughts on a couple of other things, Tom. Sam Altman and a couple of others came to Congress asking for a further regulation of AI. And I also heard a recent conversation with Jeff Hinton, who left Google 
because of his concern about where AI is going and future of humanity. And he said, we don't fully understand how these chatbots actually do what they do. And Jeff Hinton, who is known as one of the fathers of modern artificial intelligence, wants to better understand how it is that they do what they do. Would love to get your thoughts on some of the safety conversations, regulation, and the thoughts around where this is headed. We have a brain, and we're not even too sure how this brain works. But it works. Somehow it works, and it does a pretty good job. (laughs) I don't necessarily buy the argument that you have to completely understand something to get value out of it. But then again, I think we feel a little more comfortable if we do know why certain things work, just so we're prepared to deal with some of this. OpenAI, when it was created in 2015, its focus was on building AI for humanity that was safe. They started as a nonprofit, but then they realized they had to pay the bills, so they got investment from Microsoft and became a little more commercial. So there's this tug of war between making money and saving the world, and a lot of times the making money part wins out at the end of the day. Shouldn't be too surprising. But I do think for... OpenAI, one of the interesting questions to Sam Altman in the hearing was one of the senators asked him, do you have any equity in OpenAI? And he says he does not. I don't even know if he makes a salary. He's a very wealthy person because he's made money in other ventures, but he actually has no equity in OpenAI, which I thought maybe his idea of safe AI is truer than it would be, say, someone at Microsoft or Google. And they do a lot of research on this. They publish, they open source that research. They have something called reinforcement learning with human feedback. So they have people that will take what's going on with these models and try to improve them. And there's a thumbs up and thumbs down on the results. So you can tell the system if it's what you think is proper or not. I think the industry as a whole is fairly responsible, at least at the bigger companies. They're big brands. They don't want to tarnish themselves. And they seeing how things can go off the rails. So I do think there's some self-interest in there from the standpoint of making it so it's used properly. As for regulation, Europe is trying to implement its own regulations. It's been a challenge because things are moving so fast. When they were looking and creating this law, generative AI wasn't on the radar screen. All of a sudden, it's the biggest thing now. Now they're scrambling to figure out what to do with it. So it's just constantly moving targets. So that makes it difficult for regulations to work and you don't want to stamp out the innovation. And then some may say the regulation may only help the bigger players. It's kind of like the banking system. JP Morgan can afford all the lawyers and compliance officers, whereas the bank down the street can't. There's probably some of that. It's probably a legit concern. My feeling on regulation, at least in the United States, is it's going to be slow and it's probably not going to be too impressive. We tend to have a more of a freewheeling approach to technology and business in this country, as opposed to Europe or China. Don't expect a lot with regulation. As for Hinton's comments about the models, these models are generally known as black boxes because they're so complicated. If you have a model that has close to a trillion parameters and has been trained on trillions of pieces of content or tokens, those kind of like words, how does a human kind of conceptualize that? Let me give you a little indication. These models will take words. They find the relationships of these words But what they do is they try to find the spatial differences between all these words. And it's not a 3D space. It's like a dimension of thousands. So how is (laughs) our brain going to visualize spatial relationships? And that's just one word. 
that the one word could have thousands of different dimensions. Now the computer <laughs> figures that out with all this matrix math, very complicated math, but we can't figure it out. So I don't even know if we could figure it out if we wanted to. What's interesting though, is that it works. I don't know why <laughs> it really just works. When you take a lot of information, you use these models, and the way you approach it, it gives back words that seems like a person wrote it. And why it does, I have no idea, but it does. And maybe our brain operates on similar principles. We don't know yet. Maybe we are some kind of LLM, and we just haven't figured out the biochemistry for that at this point. But it does work. It's a, definitely a big breakthrough. But I suspect in the years to come, we'll have other types of breakthroughs, and we probably won't know what these mean, because it's going to build on even more sophisticated models, more sophisticated engineering. I would say good luck to Mr. Hinton. It took him <laughs> most of his life to create these deep learning systems that revolutionize deep learning. He's the guy that takes on the big challenges, though. Tom, I've been getting emails from listeners and some of the people that I interact with mentioning they are excited, they're energized, they are learning from the conversations, including the conversations with you with respect to AI, incorporating it into their workflow, their team's workflow, and in their organization. One of the top questions I'm getting is, where should I start? What should I do? I would love to spend the rest of our time together focusing on that, where as managers of teams and leaders of organizations are looking at incorporating AI into their workflow and their team's workflow, where do you advise them to start? Yeah. So actually a day before Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the top venture capital firms in Silicon Valley, put out a post called the AI Canon. It's a curated list of links to every topic you would want to think about. And some of it's technical, some of it's easy for mere mortals to understand. We cover stuff like prompt engineering, how to create prompts, what is an LLM, what's a transformer, how it's going to impact business, and what are the different systems and so forth. So I think that's a good resource, something you really can't read in one day, but it could be a good reference point. But the other thing too is technology is amazing, but a lot of times it just sits there. People don't know where to begin. They get set in their ways. Every morning they power up Excel, they copy paste this, and then they go to Word and they have a certain workflow and it works for them. Changing that workflow sometimes freaks people out. So it can be disruptive when you're making these changes to an organization. There's the idea of change management. There's different approaches to that. But sometimes it's better to just focus on a couple things first and let that set in and become part of the process and then maybe take it to another level and another level over time. And then you start seeing improvements. If you try to do the big bang and everybody completely rethinks their, their approach, usually there's going to be a lot of pushback and it's probably not going to end well. So I do think the old fashioned principles of change management with new technology are critical. Some of it could just be as simple as a workshop or a Zoom. I get random requests just out of the blue. I got one from the Caribbean. They want me to speak to them about some basic stuff about ChatGPT and how they can use it, what it means, different approaches in a Zoom call. Because like you said, they just don't know where to start and they're just trying to figure out some strategies. So I think this AI canon, YouTube, 
and then also change management, I think are some of the preliminaries to get off to a good start. Now, the other thing, this is something I, I wrote about in my AI basics book, is that don't go and just start doing an AI project. One, you probably need a data scientist and experts, <laughs> and you got to figure out a problem to solve and things like that. That's probably not the best approach unless you are a high-tech company and have those resources. Most companies don't have that. So the thing is that, again, at this IO comp, Google has announced BARD, and they're implementing this technology in their systems. Go to Google Docs, and on the left side of the margin for Docs, there's a little button there. Click it, and it'll actually suggest some ideas for prompts. And then you can say, write me a blog about generative AI. And I'll say, okay, here's something we put together. Do you like it? We can put it in that doc. If not, we can try it again. Or maybe you can change the prompt and so forth. So start experimenting with what you already have as tools. If you're Office 365, do that. If you're working on Workplace Google, start there. If you're in these applications all day long, definitely take advantage of that because you might realize you could be saving a lot of time using some of these tools versus the old ways you were doing that. So I think those are some of the low-hanging fruit to get off to a start. And then you, you build on that over time. I love the way you approach it, Tom. And in some of the teams that I've been working with, there are a couple of conversations. One I will separate from this there are strategic implications for organizations, and that's a separate conversation. But in terms of the tactical implementations, I go to your point, first of all, on change management. I've seen some resistance for good reason. People have different relationships with technology. In many instances, they have heard scary things or seen <laughs> scary things about artificial intelligence, and they are wondering whether it is beneficial or not. So change management is a big part of the process. It's not just rolling out a bunch of tools. Right. And secondarily, they are accessible in Microsoft and in Google. In addition to that, are there business issues, problems, or ways to determine where AI could be most useful to addressing team and organizational issues. comes to the question more of automation. AI is one of those terms that can be applied to any type of technology when it may not even really be AI. There's something called robotic process automation or RPA, which is like macros that automate certain processes that you do over and over again. And is that AI? It probably isn't, although RPA companies try to make it sound like it's AI, but it really isn't. So sometimes it's better just to take that term and put it aside and then look at, okay, what is my process? Am I doing a lot of cut and paste? That's probably like an RPA automation, macro type automation. It's really not AI, but you could save a ton of time, improve productivity to a great extent. RPA has shown that the ROI is pretty high off that. Those types of automation that are really not AI, but they're still important and should not be ignored. There are other types of AI that are more cognitive. Where I look at AI or what is known as generative AI, I look at more, what are those knowledge-based capabilities and functions that this technology can carry out? We talked about this earlier. You take the, your Zoom calls 
and you transcribe them and then you summarize them, right? Now, just imagine the amount of time it would take for you to <laughs> go through and read it and then put it into a summary. You're probably talking three hours of your day that's gone because of just summarization. Old RPA could not summarize that because it didn't have cognitive capability. The AI can. So it will go through that content, transcribe it very little amount of time. And is it perfect? Probably not. But you got to weigh the benefits of your time. Plus the fact that if you did it yourself, it wouldn't be perfect either. You're probably going to miss some stuff. You can get bored or, or maybe think this is not an important topic, but this is. So we're talking a little bit more subjective factors, but is the overall benefit we're getting so much better in terms of the time saved through that automation? And I would say generally the answer is yes, unless it's like a very serious, important topic. But one thing that generative AI is really good at is summarization, because you're just dealing with that content. If you ask it some open-ended question, then that's when the answers start to get fuzzy. So if I go to ChatGPT and I ask it about my bio, doesn't really know me, and it'll try to figure me out, and it'll probably get things wrong. But with this approach to generative AI, I'm telling it, your universe is this transcript. Just stick to that. Don't look at anything else. Just tell me only about this. And the way you do that is you delimit it. So maybe you put a couple pound signs at the top. And when you do this in ChatGPT, a couple of pound signs at the bottom. And at the top of the prompt, you say, summarize this. Be as detailed as you can with that prompt saying, I want to know what are the three topics that were discussed in this or the top topics that spent, people spent the most time on or whatever. What is it that you want the summary to say? And you could say, make it three paragraphs. You could say, put it into bullet points. You could say, make it into a chart. But the amount of time savings is just off the charts, off the charts. And it'll look like it was written by a human. And it'll probably get most of it because you are delimiting it to that specific content. So I think that's just an incredible use case that could just save you a lot of time and make your organization run so much more efficiently. That's not hard to do at all. It's very easy, actually. So I think that's why this technology really is powerful and it's driving a lot of value in the markets and a lot of excitement. And that's just one of the use cases right off the top. That's a very practical use case. And to your point, it doesn't require a significant investment of time and energy yeah. to learn anything. So in a couple of instances, what I have used with some of the teams that I work with whether it's Fathom or Read AI, they transcribe the meeting, come up with the key conversation points in the meeting, who spoke how much. These are insights. Now, you might think it's appropriate that someone took up 50% of the <laughs> and the rest of the people yeah. took up a lot less than that. Key action items that came out of the meeting. Right. So, what follow-up needs to be done. So this is both saving of time and insights that in many instances helps the team become more effective. To your point, this doesn't require a lot of effort. It saves time and it is incorporating AI 
into your regular workflow? Compare that to the old way of doing AI. I would have to go and get a Python programmer who knows how to parse text. They would have to come up with some type of model. It'd have to somehow figure out how to interpret that text and convert it into tokens. It'll then have to write a program. It would probably take months and it'd be expensive. It would probably cost tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to create a summarization model custom built for this. And you can now just go to ChatGPT for free or BARD for free and do that without having any experience. You don't need a data scientist for that. All you need to do is write the prompt that's pretty basic. You'll get the results that are probably even better than what a data scientist was doing several years ago. So that's the thing about this is that it's abstracting out a lot of what had to be done with AI. AI was very bespoke a few years ago, or maybe even just a year ago. You had to create these custom systems. You had to wrangle the data. You had to build these models. You had to test the models. I had to do all these different tasks. And even if you can find a data scientist, could you afford the data scientist? And how do you even know the data scientist is as good as they say they are? That is revolutionary. That really is, because it's making this technology so much more accessible than it has ever been before. And I think that's powerful for businesses and for the organizations. It's more of a matter, again, going back to the change management, or just the awareness that these tools are out there and understanding the value of these tools, and then also understanding what it takes to implement them. There's still some implementation. It's not magic. Still needs to be some change management. But... It's nothing like it used to be just a few years ago when it came to AI. Now, unleashing that power, Tom, one of the things that I've seen in working with my clients, in many instances, the more experience they have and the higher up they've moved in the organization, they end up doing better in their conversations with ChatGPT because they're more clear mm-hmm. in their prompting and in what they're asking for so they get better responses. What has been your experience in terms of the kind of prompting that gets better responses, more useful responses in interacting with whether it's BARD or ChatGPT? So a prompt is whatever you tell the system, you enter the information. And also keep in mind that what you enter the system can be also voice. You can go to ChatGPT and talk to it and so forth. It's multimodal. So you can, you can be written or voice. That's what I actually (laughs) love about the app that they rolled out. Now they have whisper on the app and you can have a conversation with it in voice. Exactly. We're seeing these multimodal capabilities, or we saw the GPT for presentation from OpenAI, where present drew a website and then fed it into chat GPT and it actually figured out how to create the website. So it's also going to understand charts, visuals, or PDFs. Think of all the PDFs that exist in businesses. You can feed those PDFs and it will summarize those PDFs. It can extract data from those PDFs. So when it comes to prompt engineering, don't just think about prompt engineering as entering text. In the future, it's going to be multimodal. And I agree, a senior executive probably might be better as a prompt engineer. Because ChatGPT is not going to say, do you mean this or do you mean that? It's just going to say, okay, based on what you told me and what I can figure out, even though there's some ambiguities, I'll take it in this direction. 
And that may not be the direction you want to take it. So feel free to be as detailed as you want with your prompt. And that usually get better results when you do that. You also get fewer problems with the hallucinations, the false information or misleading information when you're more detailed with these comments. Talking about resources, OpenAI does have, it's in their technical part for their API, but they do have an explanation of prompt engineering and the three or four factors to consider when creating prompts. That's a really good resource to look at if you want to improve your prompt engineering. But part of it is being very specific. Also, telling it what format you want the result. What the AI system comes back with is called the completion or the completion response. So you could you should tell it what format you want it in. But do you want it as a Shakespearean sonnet? Or do you want it as a chart? Do you want it as a Python code? You can tell it whatever you want. Or do you want it in another language or multiple languages? Tell it what format you want this data to be in. And then also, when I mentioned before the delimiters, that's really important. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss is when you're telling it to look at certain data, make it so the computer figures out what data you're talking about. Because if not, it may not necessarily know what it's working with and can get some wrong results. Now, prompt engineering, if we're talking about like a workshop to do in a company. I think prompt engineering would be one of the first practical things to talk about. Because even though there are these tools that are starting to pop up in these applications, like Google Docs and so forth, I still may not get as much value out of them because I may not know how to write a good prompt. The other thing too, it's a chat. Most likely you're not going to come up with a perfect pristine prompt for the first try. You usually need a couple shots at it before it works. As I'm thinking about it, Tom, if you don't know how to turn on a car and drive a car, it is not going to give you the benefits <laughs> of moving faster than a horse. If anything, sure. it's going to be this big clunky thing that you can't push. And I've right. seen people test using ChatGPT or BARD and mm -hmm. saying where what it gave me wasn't helpful. In many instances, it's knowing the potential and how to have those conversations and ask questions. To your point, I've had conversations on PDF documents that have been outstanding in many instances because I can also use ChatGPT as a sparring partner. How would you argue against these points, making counter arguments back and forth? So it's an interesting sparring partner going back and forth and trying to understand content deeper. To your point, the more specific you are with the content you're providing, the less likely it is to go off the rails and hallucinate. Mm -hmm. And one of the concerns that I've heard from some has been with respect to safety and security of having their team members in the organization use these tools. What are your thoughts and your guidance around that, Tom? First of all, you probably need to talk to your compliance people or HR to see what the policies are of using this technology. <laughs> Tom, yeah. A lot of times compliance people... Their first answer is no. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes if you do something, you may get fired too. There's this case with Samsung 
where employees in their semiconductor division were putting proprietary information in the chat GPT. And that didn't go down so well with the organization. I do think it depends on what type of information you're using too. So if it's general information, I don't think that is a particular problem. But if you're in a regulated industry, you would think there's already been some discussion from compliance about it. But if you're using personally identifiable information or PII, then that's something where you got to talk to someone and say, is that okay to do? Now, it's not necessarily clear what the security is for something like OpenAI, because it's an API. So it takes the information and it's transported over to OpenAI systems and their data centers and so forth. It's processed and then it comes back to you on your application. Now, apparently it's supposed to be encrypted and it may be anonymized. So there are definitely security precautions that are taken, but there are some organizations that can't have data moved to another location or another country. Again, it depends on what it is your company is doing. So there is a risk for security. That's a risk for every type of application. It's just not AI. And that's why you need a good security policy. And maybe when you're using these systems, be careful with the type of information you put in there. But I think that's a good rule in general. If you're putting credit card numbers in ChatGPT, probably not a good idea. Just be reasonable with it, but nothing is risk-free. That's for certain when it comes to technology. And part of the point that you make is thinking about what is the content that you're asking about If it's content that is identifiable to an individual or to Mm -hmm. a specific company and it's information you don't want out there. So it is the health information for a specific individual and you have their name and health Mm -hmm. information in there. Now you're entering this and this could be accessed in the future. You don't Mm want to do that. However, if you're just asking generalized health information, or if it's generalized conversations you're having about some document from within the company that is not about the secret strategy to introduce a new product, then that's fine. Most of the organizations that I've interacted with and teams, that's the bucket they fall in. There is nothing highly sensitive or secret that people would be entering in, but they have Mm -hmm. heard about the concerns about security and safety And that raises the concern. So the points that you make are relevant to keep in mind. So as this progresses, Tom, would love to know your thoughts on where you see the future of workplace going with AI over the next year to two. One of the quotes I love is the future is already here. It's Mm -hmm. just not evenly distributed. So you are getting a sense in interacting with organizations and teams of what that future is where a year or two from now, most of our workplaces, what they will look like. Would love to get Mm -hmm. some of your thoughts on that. Making predictions is all hazardous activity. (laughs) But I would say that if you're in the workforce, you're going to be hearing a lot about AI and you're going to start working with new systems And I would say it's not going to hurt to be good at it. Prompt engineering is probably one of the best things you could do for your career at this point. There are job ads for that, but these systems work better when you're doing prompt engineering. 
and for the companies themselves, I think they're going to start realizing that as they start rolling this technology out, maybe they're going to have to do more education and reskilling for the AI type workforce, but it will definitely be unevenly distributed. Some companies will be at the forefront and will benefit significantly from this technologies and others will be left behind and they may not know why they're being left behind. The frog in the hot water, it seems fine. And then you die. I think there's going to be some companies come under pressure and they're not going to figure out why they are coming under pressures because some of their competitors are going to be using these technologies and getting efficiencies out of them. In terms of the workforce, there's a lot of talk about this technology replacing jobs. And we've always had that discussion in the early days of computers. That's always been a concern. It never really seems to have happened, at least for knowledge workers. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen in the next year or two, but I do think it's going to happen. And that's going to be a wake-up call for a lot of people in their careers because these technologies are getting better and better at such a rapid pace. And there's going to be a replacement of certain types of roles of people and organizations. We got to think about seriously about the societal impact that this technology could have on people's careers. And uh, I think in the next few years, it could be a rude awakening for certain people who are very qualified, very smart, and are going to have a hard time finding jobs because of the automation. Verizon, I think this week, announced major cutbacks in their call centers. It's not that they're going to have fewer calls. It's just because probably this technology can handle a lot of tier one and tier two support 100% without any human intervention. Now, for businesses, this might be good. They're going to cut a lot of costs, save a lot of operating expenses. But it'll definitely have a big impact on people and their livelihoods. So I think that's something that should not be discounted. It will have significant impact, which will require us to constantly learn and reinvent ourselves, which is one of the reasons I enjoyed the conversations with you, Tom. Now you are finishing a book on mm-hmm. generative AI. It's called Generative AI, How Chat GPT and Other AI Tools Will Revolutionize business. I look forward to having a conversation on that book, but to get the audience primed to go out and start reading the book as soon as it's out, how do you see generative AI revolutionizing business? In terms of how to revolutionize business, what we've been talking about of the automation, all these great capabilities that may have taken three or four hours can be done in minutes and done very well, good performance and outcomes. And I talk about different industries, like I even talk about Hollywood, making films or gaming, healthcare, financial service. There's so many industries that are going to be revolutionized. Today, when I woke up, I saw that JP Morgan is creating their own ChatGPT system for financial analysis, for example. And they've already got a trademark on it. And it sounds like they're pretty serious about it. So there's all these industries jumping on the bandwagon. So I talk about that. I also talk about how this technology is impacting different components of a business, whether it be HR, legal, sales and marketing, support, all those types of things. And I talked to a lot of companies and lots of case studies about what they're doing and how they're using this technology. I also talk about how the technology works. I do talk about change management, implementation, the risks of this technology, and what can be done with that as well, the security and so forth. So it's a soup to nuts look at generative AI. I started writing it before ChatGPT came out because I thought this was a category that just from my standpoint looked very interesting and I knew some big investors were moving into it. 
And then ChatGPT came out. I go, oh my God. And then created a lot of urgency. The problem was that as I was writing this book, when I started, it was only GPT-3. And then I'm almost done with the book. And then all of a sudden there's GPT-4. So then I got to go back and write about GPT. So a lot of that was involved in trying to keep it as updated as possible. But I do have the latest as of right now in there. Things will obviously change. But the idea with this book is not to have all the current information, but provide some tools and ways of thinking about this incredible technology, how to implement it and get value out of it. So that's really the main focus. In the last chapter, I talk about the future. So I do talk about jobs, new models or breakthroughs or quantum computing and all these different things that are on the horizon that can have a big impact on the world. I think we're still in the very early innings with this technology. It's going to be really exciting. And like you mentioned, you got to be nimble and adapt to change. It's not easy to do that, but I don't know if we have a choice in the matter. And certainly it'd be a very exciting area. And for businesses and leaders, I know it is top of mind and it's something to really focus on now because it will drive great outcomes and performance. I wholeheartedly agree and appreciate the work that you have done and continue to do in the space, including your book, Tom, because part of what I believe in is that this is going to continue transforming at an accelerating pace the way we live and work and our organizations. There are strategic implications. There are tactical applications. However, there is also a lot of noise. I look for sources of signal and you serve as a source for reliable (laughs) signal for leaders and organizations, which is why I really appreciate you, Tom, and look forward to reading the book. I know Mm -hmm. after that, you will have a course coming out on it. We will Mm -hmm. have more conversations specifically on generative AI. Thank you so much for another outstanding conversation, Tom Tully. Thanks very much. It's been great to be here. You have been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review of the podcast on your favorite podcasting app and forward the conversation to a friend or colleague so you can help more people discover their purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.